It is good to be with you this morning. And you know, as we sang those songs uh, that, that, that we know that God loves us, right? I, I want us to just to sit with that for a moment. Because I think this is oftentimes uh, a moment in our worship where we are sensing the need to tell God what he tells us to tell him, right? God tells us to praise him, and so we need to praise God. But I don't think that God calls us to praise him because of, of, out of obedience with our minds, but out of that place of praise him because we, we sense the need. We understand our heart is fully invested in loving God and knowing that he loves us. See, there's an important piece that we're going to explore this morning, this, this, this combination, this, this congruence of, of orthodoxy and orthopraxy, uh, of right doctrine, of right truth, and right practice of our faith. And oftentimes, when it comes to living out our faith, we, we excel in one, we champion one, we say, hey, I am a person, I'm a part of a church that, that knows the word of God. We have a firm stance on the doctrines of God. We know clearly who God is. Uh, we know the doctrine of sin. We know the doctrine of creation. We know all these things. But in evaluation, as a congregation, as a community, in all truthfulness, the community often lacks in the practice of those truths they proclaim. Contrary to that, there are those communities that, that, that practice the life of faith very well. They, they practice what they think is right and good, but don't spend much time actually evaluating what are the truths of God, what are the doctrines of God, and, and are therefore <clears throat> swayed by the various waves of culture that influence those truths. And, and they certainly are a, a congregation on the move, doing good things, but not necessarily practicing the good deeds of the Lord, the truths of God. In our worship, we, we just got a chance to sing about praising God, about considering his love for us, his invitation to come to him, all who are hungry and, and thirsty. And, and the reality is, if we slow down, not just sing those words, but can think about them and consider what they mean, there's something to truly celebrate, that God knows us. Not just knows us, but he... he in spite of knowing us, he loves us, right? Uh, he, he loves us and, and, and knows us in such a way that, that he knows we're hungry and thirsty. He, he knows the, st the state of our soul probably even better than we know the state of our soul. When I talk about that soul, I'm talking about the, the inner, innermost places of your life that actually shape and, and direct the course of your, your life that you live in public before other people. God knows us. Man, that, that should mean something to us and to our hearts and to our lives. That he knows us and he loves us. He knows that we're thirsty. He knows that we're hungry. But he also knows that we look to other places to satisfy our hunger and our thirst. Right? There's many examples. I don't need to list them for you because you probably already have one floating through your mind right now. Those places we turn to to quench the hunger and the thirst of our soul. I'm not talking about, hey, I'm really hungry. I want to go home for lunch. I'm talking about that, that longing that you have deep within your soul. And, and, and maybe you don't even understand that longing, but you know it's there. You want more of something. And, and so you try different things to try to 
satisfy that soul, that, that hunger and thirst in your soul. You, you try different things to kind of settle the, the discontentness, the, the, the discomfort, the unsettledness that you feel deep within your soul. And, and, and we keep busy. We try different things. And yet God's invitation is stop that. Stop that. I know you. I love you. I know you're hungry. I know you're thirsty. Come to me. When we sing these songs, they're not, we're not doing it because God tells us we have to sing to him a song. We're, we're, we're practicing the, the truths of our, of our faith in, in such a way that, that, that it, it allows the, the depth of our inmost being to sing to God. So how is your soul this morning? What is the, the state of your soul, your, your inmost being before God? Are you hungry? Thirsty? You can, you can be honest. You don't have to turn to your neighbor and tell them how you'd answer that. I'm not going to ask you after church. If there's someone in your life that you want to share that with later on, I invite you to do that. But, but be honest. What's the state of your heart before God? Does your heart feel like your stomach does when you haven't had your breakfast for the day? Does your, your soul feel parched like your throat might when you're thirsty and you've been working outside and, and it's the end of the day? So I think the, the reality is that most of us will resonate with that sense of hungering and thirsting this morning in different ways, in different contexts and, and whatnot. But most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, will acknowledge the fact and can acknowledge the fact that we're hungry, we're thirsty. We're thirsty for more of God in our day-to-day lives. But God knows us. He knows who we are. He knows what our heart longs for. He knows that we also seek out many different things that are not God to satisfy those cravings. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, while uh, Israel was being led through the wilderness, Moses tells them this in, in verses 46 to 47. He says, take, heart, take to heart all the words by which I'm warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. For it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word you shall live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to possess. You know, it seems silly to say this, but the Bible teaches us that there's really only one place to satisfy that soul hunger and that soul thirst where where you're truly genuinely, authentically satisfied. And that's in God. God's word is our very life. The problem is that many of us have have sought life outside of the word of God. We've sought other things to to comfort us, to to satisfy us, to to calm our fears, to to give us a a sense that everything's going to be okay, when really the only thing that gives life is God's word. In this way, we're, we're not that much unlike the individuals in the church that we discussed last week, that, that, that Paul was writing to Timothy about, to, to warn against these, these false teachers, teachers that were even coming up from within the church, not even just outside there in the world, but they're there in the church teaching false truths, silly myths, confusing genealogies. And so the warning for all of us, myself this morning, is God's word alone gives life. 
You may remember in the Gospel of Luke when Jesus himself was being tempted by Satan. Do you remember what, what he told Satan? He says, man does not live by bread alone. Well, you know what Jesus is actually doing in that moment, don't you? He's drinking from the well of God's word himself. He, he's actually doing what, what, what I'm going to prescribe for us this morning. He's treasuring God's word. He, he, he's drinking from the well. Because when he tells Satan, man shall not live by bread alone, he's looking back to the scriptures for his strength and his comfort. He's quoting a, a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 8. In, in its fullness says, man doesn't live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So church, this morning, if your soul is thirsty and hungry, then I want to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you to renew your focus on treasuring God's word above all else. Above all else. And we can do this this morning by remembering Paul's words to Timothy last week. He says, don't have any competing passions. Adopt a singleness of heart, a single focus of your heart for Jesus. He says, stop living you know, one way in private and another way in public. Stop, stop trying to look better to the people around you and be genuine to who you are in your life. Deal with who you are here and invest your energy there rather than investing your energy in building up this, this kind of false idea of who you really are. And he says, to, to, to stop, uh, uh, stop breaking the integrity between your inner life and your outer life, right? And lastly, he says to develop a genuine and unhypocritical faith in Jesus. Stop telling people what they should do and then living differently. Live according to the faith. What the faith professes, we live. What is orthodox is, is orthoprax, right? We, what we declare to be true, we live out in truth. See, God's word is not empty, but is your very life. So this morning, I want us to let Paul show us more of what this means. And so open your Bibles to 2 Timothy. We're going we're to jump to the second letter of Timothy today. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17. And this is a passage that, theologically speaking, uh, people might use to, to kind of support their view that God's word is, is, is from God and, and inspired by God and is without error, Right? So let me read for us 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17. Paul writes this. He says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Church, Paul's words to Timothy are a challenge to treasure the Word of God. Paul's words to Timothy and to us are to treasure the word of God. Now, to treasure something is to recognize its value. It is to understand how meaningful and valuable it really is. And not just to understand it has value, but to attribute significant attention to that value, to value it in your own life. There's this philosophical question, if a tree falls in the woods, does it make a sound, Right? Well, I think Christianity has a similar philosophical question. If there are no other Christians around, do we really hold God's word as our most prized treasure? 
right? In, in other words, I know we say that we treasure God's word, but do we really? Do we really attribute value to what the scriptures teach? And not just what we read in the Bible, but, but what we know and understand as we dig into it, as we understand what's going on in the culture that the authors are writing to and what they're, what they're addressing and, and why they say it. And do we really hold God's word as our most prized treasure? I, I sometimes wonder that we do. I, I don't know that we do. And maybe you played that deserted island game. You know the one that goes like this. If you're stuck in an island, what are three things that you'd require or you'd have to have with you while you're stuck on that island, right? And now if this is an icebreaker for a Bible study in a, in a church group, everyone would be expected to say their Bible, right? But, but, but is it really? Do you really say that you would need to have your Bible with you or would you be saying it in that moment because... I'm in a Bible study. They expect me to say a Bible. I'm a pastor. I'm expected to say I would take a Bible with me, right? But that's besides the point. Because, because we need to be asking the question, do I really treasure and value the Word of God? See, I think a healthy spiritual leader recognizes the value of Scripture as their treasure, which in part will help them maintain a singleness of heart. It will help them establish an integrity between their inner lives and their outer lives, and it will, it will lead them to hold firmly to a genuine faith. Here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul reminds us how we can recognize the value of Scripture, and that's by recognizing its source. He uses the Greek word here, Theonoustos, which our Bible translates as God-breathed, or in some of our translations it'll say inspired. But, but this is more than uh, saying that the Bible is an inspirational text, right? We all, we all love those stories like the, the coach in the locker room before the game that gives that inspirational speak, uh, speech so that the team goes running out on the field to, to, to take on their opponents. We love that idea of, of inspiration, but that's not the inspiration that, that Paul is is declaring here about the scriptures. See, more than, more than telling us how the scriptures came to be in God breathing out, he's telling us where the scriptures came from. They came from the very mouth of God in the breath of God. See, knowing the source reveals its value and is the reason scripture is a treasure. Knowing the source allows us to know the difference between drinking tap water and drinking spring water. The value of Scripture comes from its origins, namely God himself. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 to 21, we're told, We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns, and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the value of Scripture is not in my interpretation of Scripture. The value of Scripture is, is getting to know the source yourself. 
A number of years ago, Tar and I went uh, on a vacation to, to Poland Springs, Maine. And rather than just drinking water out of the, the bottles that said Poland Springs on them, we actually got to visit the, the site where the, the source of the springs were, were where they first started bottling Poland Springs water. So as disciples of Jesus in the 21st century, I think we should value this, right? We live in a day and age of, of, of information, information and also misinformation, Right? We, we live in a day and age that, 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 that people can, can learn from articles and podcasts and pastors around the globe. And, and that's a great thing. That's, that's an advantage for us in this day and age. Right? I, I love to listen to sermons by Alistair Begg and, and Tim Keller. love hearing them preach the Word of God. I, I love reading articles on the go... Gospel Coalition website. If you ever want a good source of, uh, of gospel-centered information, that's a great place to go. I, I, I'm not going to say that everything is, I agree with everything on there, but it's a great source, right? My, my office, if you ever were to come visit me in my office, is filled with books that I love to study and read or just maybe think about reading at some point, right? But here's the thing. I can never allow these things to be what my heart treasures most, I can never allow them to be the most important thing in my faith and in my walk with Jesus. Drinking secondhand of the scriptures can be helpful, but only if I go to the source myself first. See, I think spiritual leaders understand the value of scripture as good and useful because it has its origins in God. It's the very source of life. It's the, the spring from which people are drinking and gaining and, and, and obtaining life from. So God spoke the scriptures into existence, and they're good. They're good. In, in his first letter to Timothy in chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, Paul tells Timothy, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. God's word is good, and not only is it good, but that which God's word creates is good and holy. Because they originate in God and because everything created by God is good, the scriptures are good. They're good, not just for who they are and their origins, but also, secondarily to that, for what they accomplish. They're a treasure that builds character. Growing in character as a follower of Jesus doesn't always feel good, right? I mean, how many of you came to put your faith in Christ and everything was better? Nothing was hard. Everything was easy for you after that. You didn't have to struggle to believe. You didn't have to deal with, with, with discouragement. You just, everything was easy. Is there any, I don't see any hands raised, and I don't expect to see any hands raised, because that's not how walking by faith in Christ works. In fact, it's very different from that. Because when we learn to put our faith in Christ, we say, we believe that you are the source of life. We believe that, that through Jesus, we have, we have forgiveness and reconciliation with God. We have the opportunity to draw near to the spring of life. But we also recognize that that invitation to follow him is not a simple or easy path to walk down. Right? See, I think a life of discipleship isn't always easy. And that means that the development of our character as spiritual leaders isn't always easy. 
preparing, uh, sorry, preparing for this passage made me think of a, a Bill Watterson comic, uh, his the character Calvin. You know the, the, the comic strip Calvin and Hobbes? Well, this one comic strip uh, is Calvin's dad wants to take him camping, and he's been looking forward to it. He's excited. He, you know, he's, been, he, he's, he's packed everything up in the car, takes Calvin camping, and by the time they get there, Calvin, Calvin doesn't want to be there. He's complaining the whole time. It starts raining. It's a mess. I mean, you can, you can imagine this life experience That's, that, 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 that Bill Watterson has painted for us. But, but Calvin is, is fed up, and he's just complaining, and it's driving his dad batty, but his dad is committed to thinking positively, right? He keeps trying to keep a positive mind. Even when it's like, it feels like the last straw, Calvin is even complaining about the mosquitoes that are biting him, right? And Calvin's dad does what a, a good dad says. He says, hey, mosquitoes build character, right? They may not feel good, but the outcome will be that it'll build up your character. To which Calvin gets smart and he goes, yeah, you know what, dad? Last year you told me diarrhea builds character. Life is hard. Discipleship is hard. And, and, and if we think that just because we have to face a bunch of mosquitoes means that we're doing something wrong, means that we have the wrong perspective on life. The reality is that a life of discipleship, character building, is a challenge because it, it grows us. It helps us overcome the challenges that, that we face. It builds a character in us that we would not have had had we not gone through the challenges that are laid out before us. And, and, and the scriptures are a treasure that build character in us even when life feels insufferable. So I think we need to remind ourselves that even though the word of God can feel difficult at times to obey, we can trust the process of formation because we know where God's word comes from, right? It's not just some wise ideas that Pastor Dan decided to post on his Twitter account or, or, or a funny story he told you in the Sunday sermon. We can trust that the process of formation because God's word is good. We know its source and its source is trustworthy, and its source is fruitful in all that it's intended to accomplish. Right? That's true because everything that comes from God is good. His word is good. The scriptures are good, and they're useful. Now, Paul points out four areas where they're useful for us uh, in, in considering the scriptures. They're useful for teaching, rebuking, correction, and training. These first two of teaching and rebuking, they, they focus more on knowing the truths of God, the doctrine that, that of, of doctrines of Christianity, but it all begins with teaching. See, the, the scriptures are a treasure that teaches. Last week, I, I shared how my love for Tara has grown over time, Right? I've gotten to know her more as she's taught me more about her, as I've spent time with her, as I've learned to, to, to share life with her and to be married to her and, and enjoy moments and work through hard moments. I know the way she thinks, the things she loves, the nuances of her personality. I know what she cares about and how she relates to others. I've learned to trust her more as, as, her, as, as her husband, but, but more, I've learned to trust her more as she's learned to trust me more as well, Right? I think it's similar and it's the same in our relationship with God. 
When we come to know him more, when he teaches us about himself and about his creation, about what he's done, we, we have an opportunity to, to grow in our, not just our knowledge of him, but our love for him and, and our trust in him. Right? We, we, we grow in our wisdom because we can discern what is part of God's plan and what is not a part of God's plan. But this only happens if we turn to our treasure, which teaches us about the character of God and who God is and the doctrines, the truths of God. And so the only way we can come to know him and his character is in the way that he's revealed himself through the scriptures. That's why the scriptures are a treasure that teaches you know, this isn't going to be up on the screen, but in the book of Hebrews, the writer opens the letter with this. He says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. God spoke, right? God revealed, God breathed, God, the source was God, and he spoke to the prophets, which are recorded in our scriptures. And in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the, by the word of his power. See, God is the origin of truth. He's the origin and the source of life. And, and, and what we have in the Old Testament scripture is, is God speaking these words to the prophets to write down, to, to speak to the, the people of God, to, to proclaim these truths that are both real and true now, but would be in the future as well. God gave us this word for a purpose. He wants us to learn of who he is. He even sent his son who was the, 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 the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of God's nature. God wants us to know him. And he's given us this treasure, the scriptures that teach us who he is. See, at the time that Paul was writing to Timothy, the scriptures that he spoke of were what we know as the Old Testament. Right, the, the New Testament was being formed and, and formulated as these letters were being written. But, but the Old Testament teaches the doctrinal truths about creation, where, where this creation is, where this world has come from. It, it teaches the character of God, the, the character of mankind, sin, evil. It, it teaches us the history of God's people. It teaches us the identity of God's people in community. See, in, in many ways, the, the scriptures are the, the narrative of the community of God's people. The narrative which shapes their identity and, and their unity as the people of God. Unity seems like an impossibility in our day and age, right? Unity seems so difficult because so many of us have lost a sense of the bigger narrative to which we are tied to, to which we are connected to. According to a historian named Carl Truman, the prevailing narrative of today is the power of the individual to choose his or her narrative. Now that sounds wonderful. It sounds peaceful that, that, that people can, can have more of a say in who they are. But what we lose in this is our sense of identity in the larger community of God. See, what He's saying, in other words, is who I am is not shaped solely by my wants 
and desires. It, has, it really has nothing to do with the values of history and of the community I'm a part of or the heritage of my background. Who I am is t- today is really who I want to be and who I want to be known as. But, but God's word is useful. It's a treasure that teaches. It teaches us a, a history, a, a community formed by God. It ties us into his story. His story is our story, but our story can only grow when we come to learn what his story is and believe that we're a part of this, the the communion of saints. See, God's word is useful in uniting us to God's story. God's, God's word is useful in the formation of our identity, our understanding of who we are in light of God. But this is true when we, only when we treasure God's word to teach us what those things are. That, that, that we recognize that above all else, I'm going to look to God's word to understand who I am. And that's just one example of why treasuring the scriptures is so important to, to teach us, is so important to, to, to our lives. We need God's story to understand that life is found only in his hands. And, and since he alone is the one who creates out of nothing, the scriptures which he spoke forth and proclaimed are useful. They're useful for teaching. Above all else, this should be where we turn when we have questions about this world and about life and about where we're going and our purpose and meaning because God's word alone in all of creation, God's word alone is the treasure that finds its origins in him. So the the scriptures are a treasure that teaches, but the scriptures are also a treasure that rebukes. Now, rebuking is not just a a matter of showing us where we've fallen short. Rebuking is a part of the process of where the scriptures teach us and show us because at the very same time that it shows us our potential for our our failure or our inability to live up to the standard that God's given us, it shows us also the potential for growing as we live faithfully in obedience to God's word, right? I have a, a... one of my friends here in the congregation, Rudy Polanco, he, uh, he kind of rebuked me, not necessarily with the word, but, but about something else in life a while back. I was, I was driving uh, my, uh, the Hyundai Santa Fe and uh, had neglected to check its oil, not just once or twice, but for a while, quite a while, actually. And, and, and so at some point, my car broke down. He goes, Dan, Pastor Dan, you, you got you to gotta check the oil on this like every week. You got you got to you got to realize you have not been doing what you're supposed to be doing in taking care of this car. You've not been checking the oil, you've not been adding the oil. And, and he did all this in kindness, graciousness and kindness, which I really appreciated. But but if he had not done that, I probably would have scrapped the car first of all because it wasn't working. It, it just died right on the side of the road. But but also I wouldn't have realized how I could be a better owner and caretaker of the gift of the car that God had blessed me with, right? See, the scriptures, uh, they do that to us. They, they do that in our lives. They're a standard of measurement so that when, when, we, when we realize that we're not living up to the standard of expectation of God's word, it's not just a matter of saying, hey, you're, you're, you're missing the point, you're, you're failing to hit the mark, but it's also a moment where we get a glimpse of, of when we hold our lives up to God's word, we realize, hey, I've got potential to grow. I, I, I can, God is gracious enough to, to 
to correct my course, which is another reason why we can treasure the Scriptures. But, but here, it's important for us to understand that the, that the Scriptures rebuke us, right? And, and we say that, we, no one likes that word rebuke. I don't want to be rebuked. You don't want to be rebuked. None of us want to be rebuked. But rebuking is not a bad thing because rebuking is meant for our good. We're not perfect people. Start there. Accept that you're not a perfect person. I, I, <laughs> it's made clear to me on numerous occasions, on numerous days, I am not a perfect person. I, no, shh, Tara. <laughs> I've got the mic right now, not you. But if I don't acknowledge the fact that I need a treasure to rebuke me, a, a, a tr the treasure of God's word to, to show me not just where I'm missing the mark, where I'm failing, where I'm sinning, but also to give me hope to know that I can grow. This is not a matter of, of, of beating myself up, but, but giving myself the hope of knowing I have growth potential. Why? Because God's word is a treasure that, that, that rebukes, you know? I, I, I weigh myself on a scale every day. Right? And, and I do it because, in all honesty, it makes me less afraid of the scale. Like, if I get on there every day, then I'm less afraid of what I'm going to find out if I do it every other month, right? But, but on a bad day, two things happen. One, I see how much I've gained or how, much, or how little I've lost, right? Or, uh, and then the second thing is that, that I see how short I am of my goal, right? I can see that, that difference between where I'm at and where I want to be. And, and, and that, that, that simple rebuking that that... that inanimate object gives me in that moment, right? It doesn't speak. If it did, it would probably scream at me. But, but what that inanimate object says to me in that moment is not just you've failed to lose weight today, but it gives me hope to know that there's room to grow or room to lose, I guess I should use with that, that illustration. But that rebuke only happens in light of my goal. And that's where Scripture is a treasure, a treasure that rebukes because it, it helps us to not just see where we fail, but also see what our goal is. Spiritually speaking, the rebuke we receive in the scriptures isn't just to tell us where we failed, but, but to remind us of the growing we still have to do. So scripture is useful for teaching and rebuking and, and, and kind of nestled in with that rebuking, not just teaching about where we failed, but then inviting us to live in light of that, in light of God's truth, is the correcting piece, right? If the first two uh, parts that, uh, tr pieces of treasure that the scriptures give us is teaching and rebuking, which have to do with doctrine, the last two have to do with how we are to live faithfully in light of the word of God. And so scripture is a treasure that corrects. See, if we, if we are sitting in that place where the scriptures have rebuked us, where, where they've told us, hey, Dan, you're not, you're not hitting the mark. You're sinning. You're, you've missed the mark, right? God doesn't leave us there. The, 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 the scriptures of the treasure don't leave us there. They're not just meant to tell us how much of a failure we are. The scriptures are meant to also correct us. And by correction, you know, correction we probably put in a similar category as rebuking where it feels ugly and it feels painful to be corrected. That's not how Paul is using this word, because correction as he means it here is to straighten out. Now, many of us probably struggle to accept how out of alignment our lives really are, right? We're driving 60 miles per hour down the highway, actually probably more like 80 miles per hour down, down 95, and, and we've got no idea how out of alignment our cars actually are. But even 
A small error can lead to a big problem. Right? We all need correction. But by correction, I don't mean a slap on the wrist. I mean help to straighten ourselves out. And what's so dangerous is even a small error in our trajectory can lead to a big problem. There's a story of a passenger jet carrying about 257 passengers. And this is in 1979. They, they flew out of New Zealand. They were flying up to Antarctica on a, a sightseeing tour or a sightseeing flight. But unbeknownst to the pilots, there was a minor two-degree error in the flight coordinates. And this placed them about 28 miles, about 30 miles to the east of where they thought they were meant to be. And as they approach their destination, they come below the clouds, what they find is not Antarctica, but they find, find themselves facing Mount Arabis, which was an active volcano rising, more than, rising up more than 12,000 feet. Now, sadly, everyone on the flight died from a minor two-degree error. Now, I can confidently say that there is not one person in this room whose life is perfectly straight and not in need of corruption. And that's uh, correction, sorry. And <laughs> we don't need corruption. We need correction. Uh, and that begins with me, right? I get it. I, I, I'm not above that. I'm a student of the word as we all are. But if, if we humbly accept that correction, if we recognize the source from which that correction comes is a loving Heavenly Father who loves us so much that even when we look to satisfy our hunger and thirst in other things, still invites us to draw near to Him, to, to quench our thirst in Him, to, to satisfy our hunger in Him. That is a loving Heavenly Father. And if we will humbly accept His correction, then I think we can trust our lives will straighten out. See, I think this happens only when you treasure the Scriptures to correct us. Right? It's not just that we see that, that, that innately God's Word corrects. Right? I mean, it, it does. It, it can, we can easily treat this as a textbook that, that teaches us, that, that corrects us just by reading right from wrong and all that. But, but we need to treasure this and say, this is what offers my life correction. This is what straightens me out when, I'm, when I've got a two-degree error in my life. This is what, what shows me the, those two degrees of error and rebukes me, but then also straightens me out as I humbly accept the word, the scripture, to work in my life. But that only happens when I treasure it as a treasure that corrects. And then lastly, the scriptures are a treasure that train in righteousness. Now, we train for, for marathons. Well, some of us train for marathons. We, some of us train for pie-eating contests. We train for exams. We, we train for cornhole tournaments. We train for many things that we value and want to be successful at. But, but how is it that we see righteousness as a behavior that shouldn't require practice and training, right? How is it that, that it should just come to us with, without effort because the Bible tells us that God is the one who makes us righteous? He does make us righteous. He makes us righteous through the training that comes from trusting his word. God makes us righteous, and he's chosen to make us righteous through the training, through training in righteousness that comes from his scripture. See, for some reason, 
I think we want to think that, that we're going to wake up one day and our hearts will be transformed and we'll reflect God's character and righteousness. We, we think of righteousness not, only as something that will come to us without needing to practice it or, or, or if we just have a right knowledge of God, right? If I know what God's word says and, and I trust, yeah, yeah, God, you're true, you're right, then, so you're going to make it happen in my life, we're missing something. Because God doesn't call us to a life to just know him, but to follow him, right? Jesus' invitation to his disciples is to follow him, not just to say we believe in him, but to live like him. And so the scriptures don't just call us to fill our minds with facts about God that we think are right and true and good, but to live rightly in light of those truths. That's where the orthopraxy comes in. We don't just celebrate that God's a loving God. We live in light of his love and in response to his love and in obedience to his love. When we trust the scriptures to be a treasure that teaches, corrects, uh, rebukes, corrects, and trains us in righteousness. See, all of scripture comes from God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training spiritual leaders in righteousness. So, so is, is Scripture what you treasure? Right, like, don't, don't answer right now, actually. Don't, don't answer when you've got people sitting around you and you're wondering if they can hear the thoughts in your head right now. Answer it later on. Is Scripture what you treasure? And not just living, you know, trying to, to be obedient perfectly to it, but to treasure it. To not just say, hey, this is right and good, but do I, do I treasure it? Do I value it? Do, do, I, do I put this above all else? Back in Deuteronomy 32, when Moses was talking to the people of Israel, it says, take heart all the words by which I'm warning you about today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. This is a moment when Moses is, is proclaiming the law of God to the people, the, the, the words that God has, has breathed on t- to him on the top of Mount Sinai, the law of God. He goes on, he says, for it is no empty word for you, but your very life. The scripture, God's word, is our very life. And it's what shapes us and molds us as spiritual leaders. So I think Paul knew that this was a challenge for Timothy's, uh, the people that Timothy was training up. That, 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 they, would be, that they were being uh, shaped with silly myths and genealogies and false doctrines. It's a challenge for us even today. But what I want you to take hold of this morning is not that spiritual maturity is a mountain that you need to climb so you can get to the pinnacle and say, hey, I've made it, I'm a mature spiritual leader. That's not Paul's point here. That, that's not what's on Paul's radar screen, is, 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 uh, is growing mature leaders who can look like spiritual leaders. See, in verse 17 of our passage, Paul tells Timothy that all of this is so that the man of God would be complete, equipped for every good work, the word he uses for complete carries the meaning of proficiency, right? If you've ever built your resume, you probably put on your resume all the skills and tools that you're proficient in. <clears throat> Microsoft Word, Excel, Instagram, whatever it would be. See, Paul's desire 
is for the church to be filled with spiritual leaders proficient in good works, in, in faithful living, in obedient lives. All Scripture is useful to equip us. All, all Scripture, all, all of the, the Word of God that finds its origin in Him Himself is useful to equip us as spiritual leaders. The same can't be said necessarily for all of my teaching or all of my counsel. It can only be said of God's Word. All Scripture is inspired by God and is therefore useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training to make us all proficient in God's good works. So church, what do you treasure? Think about how you treat those treasures in your life. How do you treat those things that are most important to you? Your kids, your career, your money, your house, whatever it is, your, your pride. How do you treasure it? You protect a treasure, right? You guard the treasure. You give attention to your treasure. How, how do you treat your treasure this morning? Take up the challenge to treasure God's word above all else and humbly allow it to teach you, to rebuke you, to correct you, and to train you in righteousness. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we, I confess, we confess that we haven't always held your treasure, uh, your scripture as a treasure. Lord, sometimes we, we hold it as, as a book to be mastered, that, that I'm proficient in the Bible, and so listen to me. But that's not what you call us to. So forgive us, Lord, where pride and hard-heartedness has, has kept us from from taking hold of your word as, as something to treasure, to find hope in, comfort, strength, guidance, rebuking when we need rebuking, correction when we need correction, and training where we need training in righteousness. Lord, that idea of treasuring your word is a difficult one for us because there are many things that we treasure, some things we don't even realize that we treasure. But you call us to treasure one thing, to have that singleness of heart for Jesus, to treasure the one who is the exact imprint, the radiance of your glory. Thank you for giving us this treasure. Empower us to hold it in the manner you've called us to as followers of Jesus, to treasure your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.